This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie. I'm Danielle. You always make me laugh right before we start the intro. I love what it. What do I know? <laughs> That's so kind. It's just literally my stupidity, by the way. It's great. It's not comedy chops. It's my true stupidity. Who's to say there's a difference is my <laughs> point. Listen, you said it. I didn't. <laughs> How are you this week? I'm all right. I have no news. What about you? Do you have news? <laughs> I mean, not news per se. I've had a weird encounter. Mm, I love a weird encounter. Let's uh, let's talk about it. What's going on? Okay. So, you know, I never go anywhere except to the damn doctor or to the orthodontist, right? Right. Um, I mistakenly thought it would be safe to go get my mail. Like to just put on my masks, go out to the street, get my mail come home like walk back into my house i go out this is about two nights ago i go out you check your mail at night well i usually i try to get it before dusk because otherwise the coyotes come out and there have been way too many times where i've been checking my mail at like 7 p.m and i hear these little click clacks down the street and i look and i'm like oh a dog and then i'm like oh no a fucking coyote like i can't be trusted i can't tell raccoons apart from cats in the dark like i can't be trusted out there in the streets we've got possums you live in them hills, so that's why I wanted to know if you got if you Ugh. did night things in your neighborhood. Because I always hear no. about coyote encounters, and is it coyotes? And see, now I'm getting confused again with these uh, these animals, coyotes, ocelots. ocelots. <laughs> is there a wombat in Silver Lake? I don't know. Look, if there's a wombat attack in this neighborhood, I'm going out there with a flashlight and a chair, and I'm just going to sit and watch it happen. I would love to see a wombat attack <laughs> up close in person. Uh, full disclosure, I'm sort of unclear of what a wombat is. So continue. Full disclosure, we talked about ocelots for like 20 minutes last week, and I still don't know there. <laughs> We're in good company here. Um, so, yeah, I try to check it before nightfall, you know, like I'm some kind of 13th century witch. And <laughs> I go out to my mailbox Again, masked up so it's no problem. People walking their dogs. You know, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. What I'm not prepared for is this woman to roll up on me with a quickness on the sidewalk as I'm, you know, closing the box. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, what is that? What is that sound? And I was like, hmm, do you mean the sound of children playing like around the corner? She's like, are you sure that they're playing? Are you sure? I'm going to go check it out. And I was like, I, I think it's OK. Like, I think they're just playing. They're just kids and they're fine. And she's like, I'll be right back. And I was like, oh, shit. But then I, I was like, well, I kind of have to wait here because she, she said she'll be right back and she's going to tell me. And I feel weird going inside because she also knows where I live. So she <laughs> comes back faster 
then it's humanly possible she comes around the corner again. Like she did this lap, like she must have been sprinting. And she comes back and she's like, you're right. It was just kids playing. But I'm just like so on edge. And whenever I hear that sound, like I have my own child, what happens next, and I am not joking, is a 40 minute conversation about her life and her divorce and her child and her issues. And here is where I feel like my instincts fail me. I have a Cabbage Patch Kid face, so people are going to approach me, right? All my life, people just come up and tell me anything. I could be in line at the grocery store. By the time I leave that grocery store, I know that you've had four abortions and your husband's feet smell like salami. Like, that is just how (laughs) my life goes. Also, a Cabbage Patch Kid face? I do. I've got freckles and big cheeks. No, a Cabbage Patch Kid's face is demented and evil. Yours is not that. (laughs) I had a fake one. I had a fake one first. I had a yarn Cabbage Patch one, like a fabric one. And I was like, what is this bullshit? Because my grandma was like, we're not buying you a real Cabbage Patch. And then they did. And his name was Emmett Armstrong. And she waited until she could get a black one. And that was like her whole thing was like, I'm not buying you some white doll. And I'm like, all my dolls are white. It's 1985. What are you talking about? Yeah, you couldn't find. I mean, I remember when my mom brought home a blonde white girl and i was like oh i'm the mother of this doll i thought you were like a real girl she's like here (laughs) to brush your hair play with this child i kidnapped for you (laughs) your face is beautiful and radiant and friendly thank you and maybe you're conflating friendliness with cabbage patch kids which you shouldn't because they're they're from hell but (laughs) I'm going to keep this in mind because I am conflating Cabbage Patch and friendliness. And I do have an approachable, friendly face that is not at all like those blood sucking child demon Cabbage Patch. (laughs) So. um, So, yeah, so I'm getting this full download like and this is this is how the download goes. So because I, I am the way I am. I could tell that there was something about this person like she was in distress of some kind, right? Like emotional. I don't know. She was in distress. I don't feel good just walking away from that. But I also feel like I am not equipped to do anything about that. Mm -hmm. So all I can do is listen. And sometimes that's all people need is a friendly ear. Right. Here's where things go. (laughs) Here's where things go wrong. And this is where I start doubting my instincts. I mean, things were wrong from the beginning, but again, it takes me 20 minutes to figure this shit out. She's talking very hurriedly, and then she starts doing that thing where she starts crying, or she's like, and then she starts talking regularly again. There was, like, really, truly something going on. She kept saying stuff like, um, you know, I called the cops, I called 911, I'm going through a divorce, my ex ex is scary, Um, you know, I, I called the cops, and I'm a white person, I'm a white person, they didn't even come, and I'm a white person, and I was like, oh, God. Wow. Oh we don't need you to make that point. I but thank know. you. I, I'm like, I don't even know where this is going. Like, I could not track this conversation. So finally, she's talking rapid succession. And then she goes, can we just exchange numbers? No. Nope. And I was like, Millie, Mm-mm. I did, did it. You? I did it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Repeat that again. You I did. Gave... What? I know. I gave this woman my number. But then it keeps going. OK, the story keeps going. She was so frazzled. She's like, I just, you know, like, I just want to know somebody who lives here and is just like nice to me. And like her neighbors walked by us and didn't even say hello to her. They're like, oh, cute sweats to me. And then she's like, those are my neighbors. They don't even talk to me anymore. Like it was an onslaught of emotion. And I 
have never known how to respond to somebody saying, can I have your number if they see my phone in my hand or on my person? I don't know what to say. So I was like, all right. So we exchange numbers. Mm. Literally the minute I get inside, it was texts all night long and they were rambling and there were paragraphs and there were Olivia Newton-John video links. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like I'm going to have to move, right? <laughs> like I can't live here anymore. Okay. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> number one, tell me you at least gave her a Google voice number or something that no. wasn't a number that rings to your bedside every night. It's not, it it's was, a real, you gave the real phone. I gave the real phone number. Oh my number. God. Um, Should I have, cause you know that yikes. thing when people are like, let's exchange numbers. I'll send you a text. So you have mine. Mm-mm. And then I'm like, well, if I give you a fake number, then you'll know. Mm. Okay, I'm not judging you for this because I've honestly, this is like what dog people do all the time. Like, I swear to God, like, it's like if you have a dog and you're out with a dog and you see somebody else that has a dog, you get into the chatty convo and then mm-hmm. invariably you're like, you know, hey, let's exchange numbers and get the dogs together. I've, I've, I'm not saying that I've never given my phone number to a complete fucking stranger on the street. Um, however, it is a problem because you are going to get Olivia Newton-John text for the rest of your life if you don't nip this in the bud. And I don't know how you nip it in the bud. I mean, except for changing your fucking phone number. But then she knows where I live. That's yeah, that's she knows where I live. (sighs) Mm -hmm. So I just fucked up across the board and I'm basically putting out this public announcement. Because if anything happens to me, this is the first person you check. And I'll give you her name and number after we, we cut here tonight. <laughs> if there's like anything going on, this is the person. But I, I, I guess it, it comes from this. It stems from this place of I want to live in a community where people feel like, you know, we're all together and part of something. But that's very difficult in a big city. And it's for this reason. Yeah. And also, too, you can believe that, but you are also going to find people in this world that take advantage of people like you, that take advantage of the situation. It's like when you learn in therapy about boundaries, right? Yes. And there's people that just don't have them because here's the thing about the situation that might get you out of a jam, maybe, is that in all likelihood... This is you're probably not the first person this has happened to. I think that's why her neighbors just fucking bounced by and were just like, nope, because that was her story. She's like, they don't even talk to me anymore. And I'm like, I understand why. (laughs) I get it. I get it, y'all. But yeah, I just it was I felt instantly like ashamed in a weird way that like I let myself get taken, basically. Like I got took. Well, the best thing you can hope for is that it just fizzles out. That maybe like the next day or a few days later, there will be somebody else that gets the exactly text all night long. Um, that's the best you can hope for. <laughs> I never knew Olivia Newton-John had so many songs, to be honest. I mean, I did, but it's also like, I just met you. Am I going there with you? <laughs> that's that's at least like a second hang convo. That's not like. I first met you. We talk about Olivia Newton-John. Like, I have to work up to that. And no, no lead in. Just the link. Just the link. No lead in. (laughs) I mean. Oh, so that's my week. Wow. I mean, I don't know. I I understand your predicament 
because you do want to feel, especially now, you definitely want to feel like you're yeah. being nice to your neighbors, that you're open and friendly and this and that. But you just sometimes you just meet a one. You know what I mean? And it's sort of like not everybody has the same sort of uh, respect for other people's boundaries. In retrospect, I feel like from now on, the minute that I leave the situation is when somebody is suspicious about the sound of children laughing. I don't say anything. I just go into my house like this is bye. Like, I don't want to know why that's your thing. I don't want to understand anything. Nope. Oh, you're suspicious about children laughing. Bye. There's always a question or two after someone says that. I'm a writer, so I'm going to go right in there. If that's yes. what you start with. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I need to know everything about this motherfucker. Like what? Let's turn you into a character one day. <laughs> well, it's almost like she said it all. I mean, to me, it feels a little manipulative, only in the sense that it's like, well, you couldn't have said, OK, cool. Well, nice to meet you. See ya. <laughs> After that, There's, they're screaming bloody murder because they're getting killed. Bye. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like if anybody comes up to me with the uh, 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 face, with the hands out, with the fingers spread out in front of you and they go, that face if anybody's running up to you with that face in a major metropolitan area that's not good like that would have freaked me out from the jump complete it was like pan's labyrinth like with the hands with the eyes and i was like oh snap i'm in this shit now yeah but then you know the fact that she followed it up with this like horror movie you know this thought experiment this horror movie thought experiment where what is that sound like what? Is it an earthquake? Is it a 90 car pileup on the 101? What are you talking about? And it's somebody saying I need help in any way. It's just like, oh, so basically what I'd love to know, just as a wrap up, just so I can use this in the future. Somebody asked me for my number. I have my phone in my hand or in my pocket and you could see it. What do I do? Um, I would say that this is a burner phone and I only sell drugs with it and I can't give it to you. Solid. <laughs> I don't know. Done. Uh, that's what I'm doing. I've never used that excuse, by the way. It just literally came off the top of my fucking head. But it's, it's an excuse. <laughs> that is where genius lies is in not thinking about it. It's just the first instinct. That is an instinctual genius that you have going on. And that's what I'm doing. Anyone else ask me for my number? I don't care if it's Brad Pitt. I'll be like, this is a burner. I can only give you my number if you're selling, you're going to buy drugs from me. Ma'am, I can't (laughs) handle your child crisis. I do not want your debarge videos. I'm a drug dealer. God, it's so awkward. This is such an awkward predicament, honestly, because I mean, it's not even just a random stranger. It's like, how many times have I given out my phone number to, you know, people who want to sell me knives like a set of knives in the lobby of like you know some kind of convention center it's like people who yeah want to get the dogs together i mean it's just the awkwardness of the ask and here's the only saving grace is that i've lived here for what like a year and a half Uh i've never seen this bitch before yeah i've never seen this motherfucker before well if she invites you to her church who you know just know. i will drop a pin i will drop a pin <laughs> well holy uh, shit that's a that's a definitely a situation i mean this neighborhood is deceiving right I mean, you've not only been here but you've also like heard my neighbor tales like this neighborhood is a dis is a, it's a lie yeah 
So we do have some good stuff going on, though. We do, in fact. Let's talk about this theme that we're going to talk about today. Uh, This is huge, people. Okay, because I would say that this is the first time that we kind of changed the schedule to fit something that like happened not too long ago. Right. Because right. we try to do this in advance as much as possible. We plan out things. We're both those types. We like Excel docs. It's just the way it is. Right. I love a love a color code. Love a color code. Love multiple tabs. That's so sexy. <laughs> it's March. OK. What happens in March? March madness. Right. Or you're saying, I don't know, because I don't like sports, uh, which is also that's a good answer. We're co-opting it, though. <laughs> this is how important this is. This event is. This is so important that we are co-opting a sport that neither of us actively watches or participates in. That's right. I'm trying to remember if my college had a basketball team. I think if that you they can't did. remember, then they didn't. <laughs> they definitely <laughs> didn't have a football team. So here's the thing. The two of us decided. Hey, it's March. A college basketball thing is happening. There's a bracket involved. Why not take this opportunity to use the fervor of March Madness to, you know, for our own purposes and also do a theme that in recent weeks has become such a hot button issue. Oh, it's taken on a, a life of its own. Right. So here's the deal. This episode is called, Is It Good or Was I Horny? We updated it because you have been talking to us about it so much that we needed to talk about it with you. So we'll get to the bracket portion in a second. But first, I'm hoping that Danielle can give us some clarity about a movie that would fall under this category, this question. It's more like a rhetorical question, but it's a question, right? I, it's a real it's how I'm living my life now. This is how I'm basing all <laughs> job decisions. It is not rhetorical. This is my whole life now. It's like, should I park in this parking spot? I don't know. Bagel or toast? Good or horny? <laughs> so the way we're, we're framing this is that is it good or was I horny is our theme for today. We're kicking it off with this theme because it's important. But it is the the is it good or was I horny bracket will be happening purely on social media, specifically on Instagram. And we're going to have you start by sending us some films that you would qualify, something that you have conflated the goodness of with the size of your crush on someone in the cast. Um, And truly believing this movie is high art at any point in your life. So, for example, Romeo plus Juliet. (laughs) And you need to really come to terms with your God and ask yourself, is this movie good? Or was I just horny for this? Was I horny for the romance between Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio? Was I horny for just Mercutio with his red lipstick and his heels? Like, Truly ask yourself, is this film actually good? So we're going to have you suggest films to us. We're going to open it up on Instagram. We're going to give you the parameters in a moment. But what we really are asking you to do is we're going to once and for all in the is it good or was I horny bracket decide if a film is good or if it just qualifies as horny. So you your part in this is to submit these films to us that you think qualify in this realm. Right. Because honestly, we don't want to make the actual judgment. We just want to know about the films because the films will compete. 
for for yes. the chance to win it all, win it big, um, because there's going to be 16 films. That's how we're going to do it. It's going to be the sweet 16 bracket, baby. 16 films every day. There will be a 24 hour window on Instagram where you will vote for your winner. There'll be two films. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a poll. It's going to be real easy peasy. And then we will take the winners of all of the first rounds, put them together. They compete. You know how bracket works. Okay. If not, just Google bracket and you will find your information. But the point is, is that it's going to last the entire month of March, much like March Madness. But I want to tell you, there's a different. Okay. When we talk about these films, the is it good or was I horny film? This is not simply nostalgia here. This is not you going, the never ending story was a movie that I loved when I was 10. Yes. Unless there was a huge point of the film where you thought I am falling in love with one of these characters. (laughs) If you wanted to bone a Treyu or that big dog looking thing. (laughs) Then go ahead and write it in. That dog that flew through the sky. <laughs> if that was your fucking jam, write it in. But it can't be like, oh, I watched this movie a lot when I was nine because, you know, my 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 mom and dad were divorced and that was the only cassette uh, VCR tape my dad had. Yeah. And I'm not, and also not talking about like, listen, all film has an element of desire in some way, shape, or form, or else we wouldn't be watching films. There has to be something on the screen that grabs our attention, obviously. Whether it's a creature, a human being, a handbag, whatever the fuck it is, right? However, is it good or was I horny? Is is simply something that you thought, oh my God, this movie is a piece of cinematic artistry. I hold it in the highest esteem and it might only be because I have a crush on somebody in the cast. That is what yeah. this movie qualifies for. When you when you finally decided to have sex five years later and you never watched that movie again, that's the shit we want. Yeah. 25 years later, you look at that movie and go, oh, my God, I can't believe I like <laughs> that movie as much as I did. What were we thinking as a culture? Why were we all horny for <laughs> X, Y and Z? Like, it's those questions might be slightly embarrassing. But I'm just oh, saying it's going to be filled with shame as this episode will be. Well, yeah. And that's ultimately what we'll get down to in this episode is that if you need an example, we have two ready for you. Just keep listening. But starting today, Tuesday, March 2nd, you can go to our Instagram and start entering in your films. One per customer. No voter fraud. Let's just get it done. You have the rest of this week. You have until this Friday. And from that point, the bracket will begin next week. Exactly. And please, please only keep your submissions to the Instagram stories. If we get emails with your suggestions or tweets with your suggestions or you comment on our Instagram main feed with your suggestions, we are blocking. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to block you. We will burn your house to the ground. (laughs) Which one is worse, blocking or burning your house to the ground? We will make you take our phone number. Um, (laughs) But honestly, they aren't official submissions. Official submissions are using the feature within our Instagram stories. So that'll be there for you. And our wonderful social media manager, Taryn, will be there collecting submissions. It's going to work out just fine, I'm sure. But We need submissions and then we vote. Absolutely. So starting today, March 2nd, noon Eastern, 
on Instagram stories. You have until Friday, March 5th to submit. And then starting on Tuesday, March 9th, brackets. Brackets, baby. Get ready to vote. We are so curious as to what is going to happen. <laughs> this is this is an experiment. <laughs> um, I hope it's successful. <laughs> I mean, how are we even going to measure success? If we get one suggestion, I'm going to be thrilled. <laughs> Listen, thrilled. If it ends up that everybody votes for Titanic and the winner is Titanic, I'm just going to have to live with that. But honestly, I think our listeners are really creative and interesting and they actually, I think, will do a good job picking movies. Completely. It's going to be great. Yeah. I hope we've given you enough information. I feel like we have. But we're also we're going we're gonna to post the rules on our main feed. So yes. you will not be left in the dark if, you, if this is the, your only way of, of finding out about this. We're going to post it, the rules. And after all of the suggestions have come in, we're going to actually post the 16 teams or 16 movies. Uh, so you'll be able to see the bracket and what's going up against each other each week. It'll be real fun. So please check it out. Please participate. And I can't wait to see what happens. It's going to be great. Play nice, y'all. Play nice. <laughs> all right. Well, having said any of this, do you want to get into this week's movies then? Yeah. I'm going first this week, and um, I have scheduled a therapy session directly after. <laughs> I might even bump it up to, like, let's talk about this after I go, and then we'll take a break for therapy, and then Millie can go. Because this <laughs> week is some shit. We are so <sighs> excited to do this week, because like, like we said before, this question of is it good or was I horny is something that is really kind of like a fundamental question about life, right? As Danielle has alluded to, it's like a lesson for life. But when it comes to the movies, it really does, you know, create um, this sort of thought experiment of like, oh my God, like what was stuff that I really was passionate about and was really like defending to the hilt that is now after time, something that I'm like, oh, God, like what was going on there? And that's just a funny, embarrassing, but ultimately traumatic experience. And, you know, I understand, Danielle, that you have brought in reinforcements. And it is it's also a time capsule, right? Like it's such a time capsule moment where for me in particular, I'm going back to my most awkward moment of life where I also could not express myself properly. Like I, I I wasn't the confident being you see before you. I didn't know how to say how I was feeling. So I didn't even know I was horny when I was watching this movie. I just had feelings and I just had to keep them all to myself and let my grandmother wonder why I watched this movie every day for an entire summer. Well, and also knowing this is not to make people feel bad for not subscribing to the bonus episodes because we understand if you don't want any more of us, although uh, we wish you would. But, you know, our last bonus episode was basically Danielle professing her love for an actor uh, that I would I mean, unbeknownst to me, I actually didn't know this about you. And I was screaming. Yeah, because it's my deepest shame. I think it's actually common, but at the same time, the funny thing is, is that you went like it, you revealed yourself to be a really big fan. So I'm curious, like, what is the actor? What is the movie? What are you talking about this week? All right, motherfuckers, my movie for this week. God damn it. For is it good or was I horny? He's leaving the cube. 
released in 1989. Ryan Kelly didn't care for the way adults ran things. Adults are predictable. They're living under this illusion that life as we know it is going to continue forever. And he didn't care for the direction the world was heading. I don't know what's worse, you know? Blown up in a nuclear war, having a 7-Eleven on every corner. In fact, there were only two things that Brian did care for. His skateboard and his brother. I can't. I can't believe it was released in 89. I gotta be honest, I thought it was released like in the early 80s. I can't believe it's 89. It is shocking across the board that this film exists. It is shocking (laughs) that this film exists. I was 12 when this came out. Right. 12 years old. That is my only excuse. I was 12. I didn't know shit about fuck. All I knew (laughs) is that Christian Slater was, to me, gorgeous. So gorgeous that I rented The Name of the Rose because he was fucking in it. A movie about monks starring Sean Connery. And I'm 12 years old watching The Name of the Rose to catch a glimpse of Christian Slater. Okay, I have to ask you, right off the bat, what is it about Christian that you loved? Was it his sarcasticness? Because like you said in the bonus episode, like I know a lot of people have not maybe heard the bonus, but Christian Slater represented a certain type of dude to people like us. And and who was that dude? To me, he was what I thought was the safe bad guy. like. He's definitely fucking with the system, but he's nice to your parents. Or like he's definitely spray painting all the lockers at school, but he brings you like he knows you like lemonheads. So he'll bring you lemonheads when you hang out. Mm-hmm. The safe, nice guy. Like he's not going to prison anytime soon, <laughs> but he's definitely like low key fucking with shit all the time. And I don't know why that was my jam, because I'm like, look, I don't want or need any grievous bodily harm. I don't want or need to touch anybody, really. I just wanted to be around a very cute boy who might fuck some shit up. And that was his whole persona for the 80s and 90s. And we did talk about this on the bonus episode where Christian Slater is one of those actors who has ushered in, I think, an entire generation of people who are attracted to the absolute wrong kind of dude. I imprinted on this like a baby duck. (laughs) And guess what? The nice, (laughs) safe, bad guy, still a bad guy foundationally. So I think Christian Slater just ushered in this moment. But I was also, I was obsessed with skateboarding. Mm -hmm. Yes. Obsessed with skateboarding. And I'm so bad at it. I'm so bad at skateboarding. I wanted to be good at it more than anything in the world. But I can't take the risk because, again... I can ollie on dirt, but you're not getting me on these concrete streets flipping around like that because I don't want to break an arm. I was obsessed with skaters. Yes. But not, I'd never tried it. I never even really knew much about it other than like the clothes. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not like I knew the kind of trucks or wheels or whatever. You know, I wasn't into the like actual and I would watch like skateboard videos with my like guys in my neighborhood. But that was beyond that. The only thing was that I wanted to be the girlfriend of a guy who was a skater. Right. And I think that was very common for people of a certain age. Mm -hmm. But 
So you actually tried to skate. Yeah, which I is... actually liked the like skateboarding. Like I thought it looked cool. Wow. And it would like, you know, I really loved I think when I when I first saw Rodney Mullen doing some tricks, I'm like, ooh, skateboarding, which oh, I could talk about Rodney Mullen all day. He elevated the skateboarding form to something beautiful. And to watch him do tricks, I'll send you a video after this and we might be able to post one on our feed. But um he has this video called Liminal. And even now, like in his 50s, um, like he's just he's a beautiful skater. He makes skateboarding look like something like a skateboard is something that's born attached to your feet. Like awesome. So I do like skateboarding. I still watch skateboarding videos. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know who that is. I don't even know who oh. that is. And that's impressive. And I'm impressed that you learned how to skate because there's a lot of posers like me. I had a board. I had my I, I had a. Oh, I just I tried. It's really disappointing because I'm so bad at it. I've always been a little bit like, you know, I've got I'm six feet tall. I've got like size eight and a half feet. Like I'm just not a balanced person, but I love skateboarding. And I will recommend also there's a, um, a documentary called The Bones Brigade, which is so good. And it's about all of these guys who basically post Dogtown and Z-Boys, which was like 70s style skating. This was the next wave of like people who define skateboarding. So Tony Hawk, um, Lance Mountain, like all these people who are part of this first wave. Um, Pal Peralta, all these folks. Bones Brigade is an incredible documentary. Gleaming the Cube is a shit movie. (laughs) Oh, man, I got to say it's hard. (laughs) I don't. Okay, so this movie, uh, I think I texted this to you last night. Trying to do the synopsis of this is going to deplete me. (laughs) I have never seen a movie that is so bad that is so convoluted. So convoluted. So convoluted. I mean, like, how many plot lines did you count in this film? Because I think I counted 415. (laughs) There's quite a few. The story is sort of like... I, I get what it's trying to do, but it was just too much, right? It was like, it was a lot going on, a lot to keep up with. Especially considering that it was effectively a teen movie, right? Oh, yeah. It's a teen movie if you think teenagers are out here breaking up Vietnamese gun running rings with their skateboards. <laughs> I cannot even. Okay, let me let me just try. I'll, look, I'll try the synopsis. I'll try it and we'll see where we get. Do your best. Do your best. This movie stars Christian Slater, Stephen Bauer, Tony Hawk, Richard Hurd. Like we're going to get into the cast. But essentially, Christian Slater plays Brian Kelly. And he is a fucking skater, bro. And when his adopted Vietnamese brother, Vin, uncovers a smuggling rack at his job, he's caught investigating it because he breaks into the warehouse and starts to investigate what's going on. He's interrogated at a motel, accidentally strangled. And then his killers, who, by the way, are his boss, his co-worker and the owner of the warehouse. <laughs> Make it look like a suicide. But guess what? Brian Kelly isn't buying it. So armed only with his skateboard and a disturbing amount of bomb making materials, <laughs> Brian sets out to get the story straight and avenge his brother's death. <sighs> yeah. It's not good. This movie is 100% the byproduct of horniness. <laughs> Well, okay. so here's my question. I mean, maybe this is a chicken and the egg scenario. Was was were you interested in this movie because of skating or was it Christian Slater or was it like truly like the fully formed orgasm of like 
both things happening at the same time. Like, oh, what? yeah. It was the Voltron of <laughs> Christian Slater skateboarding. Like somebody had reached into my brain and said, you know, what this this girl in Warwick, New York wants to watch this movie about kid guys in Southern California just skating their fucking hearts out. It was like somebody genuinely jangled together a movie just for me. That's right. And it is a terrible film. It is terrible. This film is, I mean, the plot, if you could call it that, runs so hot (laughs) and so scattered. Let me just say also that here's how the movie starts. And this could be the height of male privilege on film. I'm not sure. But it's essentially a group of skaters skating around a private airport and then hiring a pilot to take them up in his plane so they can survey which pools are empty so they can skate in them. So they're already doing like mash level shit. Trying to pinpoint where these pools are with maps and like schematics. My question for that, and literally this is the first like 10 minutes of the movie, right? How did they get off the plane? Did the plane land in a neighborhood and was just basically like, okay, here comes like five dudes. I mean, if listen, like you want to talk about a neighborhood scare, if a fucking biplane lands on my street and like Tony Hawk gets out, I'm like, what's that noise? (laughs) It's fucking five skaters that just got dropped off in a fucking airplane on my street to like skate my neighbor's pool. And this guy's at work or whatever. That's what I never understood. I was like, did they climb out of the plane? Was it like a parachute thing? Like, how do they leave? How do they leave the plane? My thought is they went back to the airport, but they knew the address because they had a map, Millie. They had a map in the schematics. (laughs) (laughs) Then they hopped in Tony Hawk's Pizza Hut truck and drove to the address. Because Tony Hawk, P.S., in this movie, drives a red pickup truck. It doesn't just have a sign on the top that says, hey, I'm a Pizza Hut delivery person. It has an entire Pizza Hut replica roof on top. So they got in that, they drove to the neighborhood, and then they ruined somebody's empty pool. That makes so much more sense than what I thought was the situation, which is that they jumped out of an airplane into a pool. That's probably that's what I imagine skateboarders are doing now. They're like, we're paratroopers. We're paratroopers in disguise. Yeah. For their YouTube channel or whatever. I totally. That is so fucking funny. I was like, really? Did they just jump out of an airplane? No. I love that you thought that. I love that. (laughs) Why jump out of an airplane when you have a Pizza Hut truck, Millie? (laughs) And this is the thing. It's like, so they're skating. They skate so hard. They skate so hard. And the actual skaters are made up of people who were in the Bones Brigade at that time. Because Stacey Peralta of the Powell Peralta brand of skateboards, um, he was the technical advisor for this film. So he kind of taught everyone how to to do everything. So you have Mike McGill, Rodney Mullen, Gator Rogowski, Lance Mountain, Tommy Guerrero, like actual skaters were in this film. And Max Perlick who was just like born to be a sidekick in the 80s and 90s. And if you see his face, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. His mom is Rita Rudner in this movie. He has an underground bunker. And he's the only person in this movie to even say Gleam the Cube, which he explains as the place you go to skate where you just let go. Nobody says it again. I don't know what Gleaming the Cube actually fucking means. And I didn't even think about what it might have meant until yesterday. (laughs) 30 years later, I was like, what is the cube? Why are they gleaming it? Yeah, I honestly thought, 
Because honestly, when it comes down to it, in most of these like movies, right, you you call it something like that, and the cube would be like the ultimate skate ramp in the mall that these right. people are trying. I mean, gleaming the cube is not the cube doesn't exist. It's not on the physical plane. It's like a state of mind, maybe. Yeah. And why did I think that 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 is too high minded for what this film presents? Like, it's thank not- you. <laughs> you want the cube to be like at the Galleria, <laughs> and it's like the tallest cube in Southern California. That's where this movie is. They're not on this like ethical, ethereal plane of existence. Maybe if there was like a continuing storyline where somebody was reflective at all in this movie about anything spiritual, I would think, okay, they would call it Gleaming the Cube because of that one character that was a Buddhist and was thinking about things on a higher plane. No, no, no. That guy was Gleaming the Cube all day. (laughs) Where's, Where's Brian? Oh, he's out on his yoga mat Gleaming the Cube. We won't hear from him till Saturday. The only way it connects is that a side character randomly says it. And that's the only mention of it. He says it like it's a fucking insult on top of that. Like, man, you're not even gleaming the cube. And it's like, what? What? There's (laughs) here's the thing. As a writer who works in this industry now, I guarantee there was a whole scene that was cut that fully explained it. That was boiled down to that one line. And nobody cares. It doesn't make sense. Not a single person. They probably cut it. Yeah, they cut it right out. And then they're like, wait, this doesn't make sense anymore. It's the title of our fucking film and we have no explanation for it. Just make Max Perlick say something like really offhand in an underground bunker (laughs) that he hangs out in. Here are the moments where not knowing what it meant, I thought, okay, when does Brian gleam the cube in this movie? And I need you to help help me vote on this. There are a few choices. Okay, okay. Is he gleaming the cube when he holds onto the back of a city bus? Is he gleaming the cube when he holds onto the back of a van? <laughs> Is he gleaming the cube when he holds onto the back of a Corvette on the freeway? <laughs> Is he gleaming the cube when he skates through a plate glass window in an attempt to thwart a criminal? Or is he gleaming the cube when he skates the gun out of the villain's hand to save the day? Where's he gleaming this cube, bro? Where's he gleaming it? I mean, One would suggest that the cube is always being gleamed. (laughs) No matter how difficult the situation is. So he could be gleaming the cube. I mean, one, one, I should say one could be gleaming the cube right now. Are we gleaming the cube right now? I mean, I got to be honest. There are times in my life where I wasn't sure if I was gleaming the cube. I think as I've gotten older, I've begun to understand it a little bit more. I am gleaming the cube more often than not gleaming the cube. This is real. And, you know, I think that you really don't know, unfortunately, until death, if you actually did gleam the cube. So, you know, it's like a that such is life. Such is life. Am I right? So you just like you set your metric and you hope for the best and you hope that you're gleaming the cube when you intend to gleam the cube. You hope it's happening. You're like, man, this is a moment of pure zen. I am gleaming the goddamn cube so hard. <laughs> now, here's, here's, my, here's my other question. Because we have a cop in this film who is investigating everything. He's literally the only cop in Orange County. 
Like he shows up at everything. Oh, skaters in the pool. Stephen Bauer shows up. Oh, you have a murder? Stephen Bauer shows up. He's the only cop. Manny from Scarface. Manny from Scarface. Hot ass Manny from Scarface is coming. He's on the move. Is he ever gleaming the cube in this movie? I mean, do you have to be on a skateboard to glean the cube? Here's the thing about this guy, the cop. He's like the cool cop, right? right? He's the cop that was like, he's trying to tell you, listen, kids, I was there. I used to gleam the cube quite a bit in my day, <laughs> you know, and this is his way in to, you know, Brian's life is that Brian's like, and it's that total thing where he's like, come on, you're the cool cop. You got to know what I'm talking about. And meanwhile, the cop's like, you're an idiot. Like, stop <laughs> investigating your your stepbrother's death. He hung himself. Get over it, bitch. Go back to that cube, dude. I don't want to hear about it. Then he gets in his truck with a roll bar and drives away. Because that's who you want advice from is somebody who drives a truck with a roll bar in the mean streets of Orange County. <laughs> I can't. I got to tell you, it's unfortunate because I totally love seeing Asian people in movies. But I was right. like, come on with this shit. This is too fraught this plot is too fraught like oh this this might be my favorite moment speaking of the asian <laughs> element so we have this crime happening that's centered around the vietnamese community correct, correct. They, they apprehend a couple of people on scooters eventually and like kind of want to question them and you know stephen bauer is there with his brood and he's kind of trying to talk to the and they're talking they're speaking vietnamese to each other so they're like you know Fuck you, dude. Well, you're not going to know what we're saying. So he calls in a coworker. Who do you think in this station speaks perfect conversational Vietnamese? The white guy with the blonde crew cut? Yes. <laughs> the whitest yes, dude to ever live. <laughs> whitest dude of all time. Perfect Vietnamese. And a community filled to the fucking brim with Asian people. <laughs> Let's also hard cut to the funeral where Christian Slater skates to the funeral with his blazer sleeves pulled up. And he's so late to his own brother's funeral that they're basically lowering the body into the grave. And then he just kind of skates up and puts a chess piece on it and is like, fuck y'all. Like that is just such a fuck you move at a funeral. I've never seen anything like it. Oh my God, I can't. I cannot. Well, I need to ask you a fundamental question, though, about Christian yeah. Slater. Okay. Would I have died for him in 1989? Yes. Yes, I would have. Well, that was definitely my first question. Okay. Um, my second question for you is Were you convinced that Christian Slater was actually skateboarding in this movie, or did you know that he wasn't? Here's the thing I'll say about myself I'm an intelligent person, so I knew he wasn't skating. But I would have known even if I was a complete fucking idiot because the stunt double they use is so terrible. The wig, the He's body. Super tall. <laughs> it is the worst stunt double recreation I've ever seen in my life. Like you could be half blind and know that that's not Christian Slater, which makes the moves that he's doing so much more comical now that I'm, you know, 43. Because he's just hopping up and down like he's on a pogo ball. And then they cut <laughs> to some feet. And you're like, those aren't his feet. The, the, you've got like four different stunt guys and none of them match this body. It's not him. I knew it wasn't him skating and it didn't matter. Didn't matter. Because he looked hot holding one and he had that hair. And let's, okay, real quick, we have to talk about the makeover. 
Yes, I was. That was my next question. The makeover. Yes. Okay, because there's a whole again forty five plots in this one movie. There's this whole. <laughs> <laughs> there's this whole thing, as he's trying to solve his brother's murder slash suicide potentially. He decides to date his brother's ex-girlfriend. Solid move, right? Mm -hmm. In order to impress her, because she's like, we have nothing in common. You're white and dumb, and I'm Vietnamese and smart. And so he says, hey, you know what this takes? Montage makeover. Take off my fucking gloves that I live in. Apparently, the funk from those must have been atrocious. God, I hate constant gloves like that. Fingerless gloves. And then just like, let me just, you know, shimmy out of these pads. Let me kind of cut my hair, but mostly just slick it back and put on a sweater and some Oxfords and some khakis to the point where when I I look so different to everyone that when I walk out of the room, my mother drops a glass in the sink. She's shocked. She's shocked. The whole school, the whole school when he walks in because he carries a briefcase to school. Let's replace this with my my skateboard with a briefcase. (laughs) Saunters on into this like outdoor fucking L.A. school. And the whole student body stops to stare at him and like nobody can believe they're all agog. Agog (laughs) that this dirtbag skater is now this preppy prince. But he does it so he can take out his brother's ex-girlfriend, but not even really date her. He kind of at first is doing it just to like investigate her dad on the sly. Yeah. The makeover thing is so funny to me because it's basically like the best fucking part of a makeover is when your old friends are like, what the fuck? This is fucking weird. Like, what happened to you, dude? You like, what are you like a preppy now? What did you go to the gap and get a baggy sweater? And where'd you get a briefcase, man, from like the rich guy store? They all like (laughs) ride his ass because he's now a preppy guy. And he doesn't even offer the simple excuse of I'm doing it for a girl, which most people would be like, okay, I get it. He just is like, what's your problem? Yeah, like, take it a step further. My brother just fucking died. Maybe get off my back for a minute. Why don't you get off my dick? My brother has committed suicide, y'all. My parents are like missing the good son. I'm trying to do a thing here. This is the way that I'm dealing with grief. And if you bozos can't figure it out, then maybe I will find another crew to ride around with in a Pizza Hut truck. That truck... This is this is like, again, like I can never earn any kind of substantial money because if I could buy that truck and just keep it in my front yard as like a planter, I totally would. Like I would buy that fucking Pizza Hut truck and just grow like succulents in it. That's the story of our generation It's basically people who watch Gleam in the Cube essentially created an app, made trillions of dollars and then just did wild shit like I'm going to buy a Pizza Hut truck and put it in my yard to honor my childhood. But. Speaking of this concept, though, my question to you ultimately is you thought this movie was high art. You thought this movie was like, where where did it register for you in terms of like passion and investment and everything? Could quote it backwards and forwards, watch it every day for a whole summer, along with Heather's, which I can also quote backwards and forwards. Right. Because Christian Slater was my dude. Um, I didn't think it was high art per se. I did think it was a good movie. Compelling drama. You were like, this is compelling. Incredible. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I was so happy that they had a storyline that involved 
a Vietnamese family. I'm like, oh, they're not all white. This is so they're great. Look at them. Look at them go. <laughs> Thrilled that there's like this little espionage, like skateboard espionage. I thought this was a fucking compelling drama up there with like crossing Delancey or like whatever other bullshit I was watching on VHS at that point in time. I thought like this is a story that is doing the deep work and we all get to benefit from it. So I want to say, though, okay, so there is a character in this movie who is somebody that you've actually met in real life. Yeah. And I want people to know who it is and, I, and the story of it. Because I was with you that day. And yeah. I think it's amazing. It happened in L.A. So essentially, Richard Hurd, who plays the warehouse owner slash murderer slash person who gets the gun skateboarded out of his hand at the end of the movie, <laughs> who might have been on the on the business end of gleaming the cube. <laughs> Millie and I are in Skylight Books here in L.A. one night, just like rolling around and... He's there. And Richard Hurd, I think younger, younger generations might know him as um, he played George Costanza's boss when George worked for the Yankees on Seinfeld. But he was also in incredible films like he was in The China Syndrome, All the President's Men. He had a really stunning film career. So we're walking around Skylight and I see him. Right. And again, because I am who I am, I just say, you know, as we're walking past each other, I say, hey, oh, my goodness, like you're such a phenomenal actor. And he he says, yeah, Richard Hurd, nice to meet you. I did not want to say to this man who has been in the movies with like Gregory Peck. I know you from Gleaming the Cube, motherfucker. (laughs) That's why I said you're a phenomenal actor, because I'm like, I feel like that would be an insult. Like This is clearly a movie he did for like his SAG card that year or something. But we had a real conversation about like books and great things. And he was so nice and just so sweet and then we just shopped for books and we left and then he died a week later (laughs) so you killed him so uh, killed him (laughs) but also you know i honestly feel like it probably wouldn't have been an insult if you had said to him sir thank you for providing levity to that shitball movie that i loved (laughs) claiming the cube you really brought chaps to the film and i appreciate that may that be the last thing you hear before you pass away sir completely instead i was like you're great like ooh, i do not want to tell this man that i recognize him from gleaming the cube i'm sure he has heard it before i'm sure i'm sure there's a whole generation of people who don't even literally know anything about him except for gleaming the cube so there you go exactly But he was a sweetheart. He was very kind. It was very sad that he died. And I felt like a murderer, even though (laughs) I'm not. (sighs) I think we gleamed the cube as much as we could with this movie. It was 100% horny. Not good. Well, I'm here for that. I'm so glad he picked it, even though I was like, I saw it for the first time, like only five years ago. I didn't even see it in the heyday. And I was like. This is a lot, you know, like I can appreciate it. I mean, there was a there were moments where I was like, like Christian Slater in this like fingerless glove and Billy Idol earring that's going on. And, you know, I it's like one of those things where I was like, oh, they're trying to make a skater movie into this like really like it's going to be like a John Frankenheimer type of thing. And I I don't know if I can handle it. It's blowing my brain. But um. 
I'm so glad you picked it though for this theme because at least you can, you know, you've had a reckoning and now you've. I feel unburdened. <laughs> like I feel a levity that I needed. And here's here's how bad this movie is. I didn't even look up the director and writer to see if they did anything else because I don't want to know. Oh God, let's get to your movies before I pass out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Millie, what is your choice for this theme? My choice for the theme of is it good or was I horny is a movie from 1990. It's called Memphis Bell and it was directed by Michael Caton Jones. In the summer of 1943, a fierce battle raged in the skies of Europe. So that's the crew of the Memphis Bell, huh? They're just ordinary men, Colonel. They fly 24 missions without a scratch. That doesn't sound very ordinary to me. Okay, let me just do this. Let me get all the paperwork out of the way yeah. first, okay? So this movie, Memphis Bell, is technically a fictional retelling of a documentary that was made in... 1944. The documentary is called Memphis Bell, A Story of a Flying Fortress, and it was directed by the famous classic film director, William Wyler. He's done so many old movies that are great. You don't even want to know. You had me at Flying Fortress. Yeah, Flying Fortresses really rolls off the tongue. Now, Here's the thing about the documentary. William Wyler volunteered to join the military during World War II, even though he was already working in Hollywood. So he was like a Hollywood director who was just like, I'm going to enlist in the military. Him and actually a bunch of other Hollywood directors did that. So like John Ford and Frank Capra. And there's this really great book that Mark Harris wrote that was called Five Came Back. And it's all about this era where these Hollywood directors went to World War II and, you know, basically joined the military and William Wyler, he actually made this documentary during the real war and he filmed it while he was on bombing missions. So he was like, this is a documentary that is literally happening. I was in the military and we were actually on a bombing mission. Oh, my goodness. So he's he's the Danny boy character in this. Yeah, it's so hard to say because I actually don't. So the, the, the documentary and the narrative movie is about this bomber plane and the crew of the Memphis Bell, uh, which was flown in World War II. It completed 25 missions, which is insane. That's an actual yeah. insane feat, because think about war and think about having to do something 25 times and staying alive afterwards. Think about the last time you did 25 sit-ups. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm flying a plane 25 times? No. So there's the real people involved. Now, the I don't know how accurate the fictional film was. I don't know if it was the actual characters. It's probably just like, you know, types of people that were alive in this era and would have been on a plane like this. Right. So the movie Memphis Bell, the actual narrative movie begins right before their final mission. So they're on the 24th and they got one more until they get to go home. 
to America. So, of course, that last mission, they have to fly into Germany on this insanely dangerous bomb run. And in the infamous words of Daniel Henderson, all hell breaks loose. (laughs) Okay. Perfect synopsis. Perfect. But, you know, ultimately, this movie is about like the drama of war and the lives of these soldiers and the bonds that they have. And, you know, the idea of what their lives will be like when they came home. I mean, which is why William Wyler made the best years of our lives about that very subject. So like so now, you know, all that the paperwork is out of the way. So you might be asking yourself, this is the early 90s, right? Why does a preteen girl have any interest in seeing a historical drama about World War II, right? It's like you said in your film, why are you watching the Monk movie with Christian Slater? Okay. Right. I think it's interesting that both these movies are a year apart. So Mm -hmm. we were effectively the same age when this happened, right? Yeah. So we were both in our keyed up preteen moments. And I need to paint an accurate picture here because first of all, In the late 80s, this movie came out called Dirty Dancing. Okay. (laughs) Now, that shit changed my life. Dirty Dancing changed my life. Now, that, to me, wouldn't actually be a movie. It wouldn't even be a Is It Good or Was I Horny movie. Because I understand what that movie is. From the very moment I watched it, I was like, this is what this movie is. And it was both. You didn't have to decide. The thing about Dirty Dancing is that, like... That was the big romance movie of my generation, right? So it's like everybody has one. It's either like Gone with the Wind or Love Story or Titanic or whatever. And so that was mine. But it essentially cemented the fact that I'm going to watch like any movie that features two people from the opposite side of the tracks that fall in love. That premise was very important to me. So in 1992, I turned on HBO It was just a random day. And I watched this movie called The Cutting Edge. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure if you remember this movie, but it was a movie about ice skating and the Olympics and a figure skater and a hockey player that have to do a routine together. And they're from opposite sides of the tracks. One's a rich girl and one's a poor guy and they fall in love. And the rich girl was the hockey player. Ultimate twist. <laughs> we we wish. I <laughs> desperately wish that was the case. But I was obsessed with it. I'm seeing I'm seeing that we have members of our of our team that also are obsessed <laughs> with the cutting edge. I'm glad to know. Um, maybe we'll have to do an episode about it. Who knows? But all of that, this is to say that I was obsessed with and had the biggest crush of all time on the male lead in that movie. A guy named D.B. Sweeney, which we could deep dive into that for (laughs) hours, but we won't. That'll be a bonus episode. We certainly could, because I mean, when it comes out, this is no slight to you, sir, D.B., sir. But he was kind of just a normal looking dude. Okay, he he wasn't even like a Patrick Swayze type. But for some reason, I just locked him in in my my middle school crush brain. And that was it. And it was so bad that I made my parents take me to the video store and I made them rent two historical movies that D.B. Sweeney was in. One was called Eight Men Out. (laughs) <laughs> about the baseball players and the World Series from like the 1920s. It was something about like they fixed the World Series. It had John Cusack in it. 
And the other movie was Memphis Belle. Okay. And no flags were raised. <laughs> Mom and pops were like, you know what? My girl's got a type. She's into Jonathan Knight from New Kids and this guy. And this guy is the, the New Kids version of the actor she likes. Like she's... D.B. Sweeney is the Jonathan Knight of acting. <laughs> oh my God, that just exploded my brain. Um, I will say that my dad, the funny thing is, is my dad was in the Air Force. He's retired. He was probably fucking stoked that I wanted to write Memphis <laughs> Bell. He was like, yeah, finally. She's something that I'm into. I can't believe it. I, I must have raised her right. No, no, no. It wasn't about the plane, <laughs> sir. Essentially for me, and I think now that we have a long lens on this movie, Memphis Bell was essentially like the outsiders. Yes. Of all like the hottest late 80s, early 90s actors. So like it's like a crew of of young Hollywood hotties. So you have Matthew Modine. You have Tate Donovan, Billy Zane, who I think this is like the third time we've mentioned Billy Zane, I feel like. I mean, Billy Zane, born with a mustache. That's all I'm going to say. Born with a mustache. Eric Stoltz. That's like a whole other crush that I had that we could go three, four hours on, I'm sure. That's a whole extended edition on its own. (laughs) Eric Stoltz was like, oh my God, I can't even talk about it i had a huge crush on eric stoltz too so you have him you have sean astin surprisingly jacked sean astin in this jacked, movie jacked little body harry connick jr in his first movie uh that's a whole other thing there i mean you've got reed diamond who was hot and then of course you have db sweeney so it's like think about that think about this like cluster of these hottie guys and I, it was as if the Beatles had like eight or nine members. I was all in on pretty much everybody in this movie. Like there were even moments where I was like, yo, I might have a dream about Matthew Modine being my boyfriend tonight. But D.B. Sweeney's going to pop in and be like, hey, girl. Yeah, but D.B. Sweeney, <laughs> I mean, the fan fiction that I could have written about this shit would have been out of your fucking mind. But I was obsessed with D.B. Sweeney. And so I watched this movie like I'm not kidding you when I tell you that my sister and I watched this movie like bare minimum 20 times, if not more. Oh, my Sometimes goodness. multiple viewings in the same damn day. Does Stephanie know you're writing her out like this? <laughs> <laughs> that was the blood pact that we had. I was like, because I was your older sister and I looked after you as a child, you have to deal with the fact that I might talk about you on a podcast. Okay. So this is what's up, but I'm telling you, we watched this movie so much. I know more about the beats of this movie than I do movies that I ostensibly like, like the stuff that I talk about in public, like, Oh, you know, my favorite movie is Johnny guitar. I like Memphis <sighs> bell and no Memphis bell more than Johnny guitar, which is like one of my favorite movies of all time. Memphis bell is your real favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> if you search your heart and soul, you know for a fact this shit's coming up. It is not going to be like three women. No, it's going to be Memphis Belle on your deathbed. Your deathbed movie is Memphis Belle. And okay. And and perhaps unlike your film, I definitely thought this was high historical art. Like I thought I was watching like a Merchant Ivory movie. Okay. I 
I was like, this is serious, high-minded, historical cinema. And the funny thing is, is that like, even what I've watched, because I've watched it several times in the past five years of my life, right? I watched it with my coworkers at TCM because I was like, okay, these motherfuckers haven't seen Memphis Bell. Like, we play William Wyler movies all day and they haven't seen it. We're going to remedy that. And I will say, it's not like a terrible movie, but let's no. get serious. I was watching it for all the hotties. The plane, the war, all that stuff is nice. But it's the hotties. It's the DBs. You know what I'm saying? It's the tank top hotties and leather jackets. <laughs> so that's the thing about this film to me that makes it a is it good or was I horny? Is because it's that thing where I'm like, it presents itself like I stand this movie so much where I would like go to school and be like, you guys want to come over to my house after school and watch Memphis Bell? And all of the girls were like what <laughs> oh my god i would have been your best friend <laughs> <laughs> i'm like yeah and then after that we could watch this movie called gleaming the cube <laughs> because most of the time that was the, pe the the people my age right the girls my age were not interested in guys like db sweeney or billy zane right no they were after I don't even know who was popular. Who was hot? The new kids on the block? Vanilla Ice? Vanilla Ice. Maybe they vanilla were into ice. Vanilla Ice. Okay. Or they were probably into like, no, Jonathan Taylor Thomas is too late, but they were probably into like that. Like they, they were probably like you're, you have through Memphis Bell, it seems like your crushes are on adult ass men and they were probably still <laughs> crushing on boys. <laughs> you're like, I am crushing on old ass adult ass men you didn't mean boys to men no i meant no real men not boys to men no or boys just men has vanilla ice been in a war has he ever flown in the <laughs> turret of a <laughs> ball gunner or whatever fuck that dude <laughs> you liked the <laughs> you liked these dudes is joey mcintyre wearing brill cream then I mean, no, no thank you <laughs> <laughs> not interested just simply not interested it, it was so funny because it was like yeah it was that moment where i was like god i was i was one of those girls i was like one of those girls that like lusted after like not just like an older guy but like from another fucking era from like a different time right <laughs> it's like it's like having a crush on a ghost when you're that age and you're like <laughs> <laughs> I have a crush on Eric Stoltz in 1944. <laughs> like you might as well be like, I have a crush on a ghost I met once on vacation in Virginia. Like we don't know. It's the same thing. We were 12. Yes. There's always like one, maybe two people in your high school that like crushed after Shakespeare or like Ichabod Crane or like totally. somebody like somebody's like. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson was hot as fuck. Like, I, exactly. you know, it's that concept of basically like something from history to like a 12 year old girl. <laughs> and that's what I what I was obsessed with. And like, but the movie itself, like the movie itself Ooh. is actually like compelling. There's like a lot of, you know, and the funny thing is, is like each each guy, each hottie plays like a character type. So you've got like right. Eric Stoltz plays the like good old danny boy irish guy you know like real 
eager and earnest. And then it's like Billy Zane. He plays a character named Val because he has one of those like Rudolph Valentino mustaches. And he's like this hot, like, you know, tiny mustache, like Errol Flynn looking motherfucker. And then like, you know, Matthew Modine is like the captain of the crew, real uptight white guy. You know, but there's something valuable in that. So it's like there's like these stereotypical kind of like male characters in groups of, you know, in movies featuring groups of men. It's like one guy's the womanizer. One guy's the, you know, simple southern guy, which is the Harry (laughs) Connick Jr. character. Yeah. And it's just like and D.B. Sweeney, I'll have you know, plays the drunk in this movie. He's basically drunk or severely hungover at every point in this movie because he's like convinced that they're going to die. Oh, God. He's literally just like going up to people being like, that's it, man. We're fucking goners. We're going to die today. And everyone's like, you're a fucking drag. Like, he's the worst character in the movie. Because he's a drag and he's scaring everybody. He's telling everyone they're gonna die every five minutes. He's like, "This is it. You want you want my you want my playing cards? Because we're um, they're they're like we're in the same plane. If you die, I'm gonna die. Why are you giving me all your valuables? You should have given these to me on the ground." He's like vomiting and convulsing and sweating, and I'm like mystery date. Like I could (laughs) have like fallen in love with him. I'm like. There's my crush. There's who I want to go to the dance with. This guy that's sweating and vomiting in a bomber jacket. Don't forget, like his eyes are pinned. Like he's just like, like the whole the fear in his eyes. He's a great actor. The fear in his eyes, the whole film really compounds the puking and the sweating and the nausea. Yeah, I think my favorite D.B. Sweeney movie is probably Fire in the Sky. Yes. Which is not getting enough play. Yes. <laughs> that, that movie scared the shit out of me. And so I, I watched that one less. But when it came down to it, Memphis Bell, because the cutting edge I've seen a hundred million times, of course, that to me is like the absolute flashpoint D.B. Sweeney movie for me. I was also obsessed with the Olympics at that time. Like it's like it was the Dan and Dave era. So it's like all the kids were like into the Olympics. And that's like, here we go. D.B. Sweeney. This is a prime cut. And then Memphis oh, Bell, though, amazing. was was him plus all these other hotties. So it was just like yeah. too much for me to handle. Right? And was this for you the same question that you asked me? I'm going to I'm going to ask you, was this like a Voltron of orgasmic experience or was this just like this one particular dude just does it for me in some way? That, it was more that it was more yeah. this guy. I will follow D.B. Sweeney into the fire. I'm here for literally whatever you do, sir. So was there anyone else in this movie of a cast full of hotties that piqued your interest even a little bit? Well, okay. so back in the day, obviously, there was Eric Stoltz. I was obsessed with Harry Connick Jr. too after this movie. I I fell down a Harry Connick Jr. hole. Little man Tate, anyone? Yes. Tate Donovan. Like, they're all hot. And actually... David Strathairn plays like he is hot in this movie. And of course, now I think John Lithgow is terrific. And I'm like, at the time I was like, oh, he plays like 
His character is writing a story on the Memphis Bell guys, and he's kind of a dipshit. And at the time, I was like, who's this guy? He's going to jinx these fellas in the air. Get, Get rid of him. <laughs> he's, a fanta- he's like a fantastic, underrated actor, in my opinion. But at the time, yes. I was like, no, 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 no. Have you gone back to the earlier seasons of The Crown yet? I have, yeah. I did. I've seen all of them. Because he plays um, Churchill in that. And he's very, very good in that. Yeah, he's incredible in that. I am so on Matthew Modine. I used to watch Gross Anatomy because it was on Showtime constantly. And he's like this young doctor, like in school. And I was like, oh, my God, he's so cute. He had like skater haircut, but he was a doctor. Whoo, Matthew Modine aged well. He did. He's in Stranger Things. Very, very cute. And so, and here's the thing: I didn't watch this movie when it came out because it was about the war. And I'm like, yes. this is a movie for my granddad. I don't care how many hotties you stuff in this thing. But Harry Connick Jr. was having a moment. He's mm. he always plays mm. these characters that they're like, don't forget he's from New Orleans. So he always yes. like plays these characters. This particular iteration, he plays Clay Busby, right? And he is so Southern in this movie that they have him whittling a plane while they're in a plane. <laughs> like, don't forget, guys, he's, he's from New Orleans and he sings. Let's have him whittle a plane out yeah. of wood. Yeah, exactly. It's like he knows how to drive a tractor. He, uh, his character used to perform like ragtime piano in a cat house in New Orleans. I'm like, okay. And this is, this is why it's interesting to me because he has... He's such a crooner. And there's a point in this movie where they're at this dance. And, um, you know, it's one of those dances where like the balloons are hanging above them, like the red, white and blue balloons, which, by the way, total hazard, like total health hazard that when they drop those balloons, I'm like, who doesn't have a broken neck right now? Like it just it's too much. Have you ever been to a party where that happened? That I've, That's no. happened to me before. I was like, I was actually DJing a thing where they did that. And I was having like, I thought I was going to have a panic attack. I was like, there's completely nobody can breathe. There's too many balloons. <laughs> there's too much going on. There's no space. I can't see the floor. Get the fuck out of here. I, and like, these... I can't see the Quad City DJs album <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> I have to scratch a record with a balloon on it. It's going to pop. <laughs> I have never. And that shit scares the crap out of me. So when I saw this scene, I was like, oh, what's happening here? But he's on stage. He is singing Danny Boy. With such romantic intent that I thought part of the plot line was going to be that he and Eric Stoltz were dating. <laughs> yes. I was ready for that. Yes. I'm like, ooh, give me this plot line of like, these two are like, no, he's just like, this is a casual romantic song that I'm going to sing directly to this dude and not do anything about it. They missed an opportunity there. They could have had a great plot point there. I will say this. There are times when I do wonder if the Danny character was like coded gay. I mean, there was so many like, I mean, besides the fact that, you know, he sort of was the one that read poetry and was sort of like the sensitive one. You know, there was a I was like, there is something a little celluloid closet about this character, but I don't know. Look, that would have blown my tiny mind in the best possible way when I was 12. If two hot guys make out in a movie? Listen, if like this movie was all the guys making out with each other, (laughs) I would not be here right now. I would be dead. is a porno (laughs) and that movie does exist. (laughs) Oh my God. 
Can we please, if somebody does know of the Memphis Bell porno parody, please, please send me a message. Guaranteed it exists somewhere. <laughs> I, I won't go too far Ugh. down that hole. But anyway, I was like, this movie had to have been the only movie for the is it good or was I horny category it just had to there was yeah. other movies that i thought about but memphis bell was really the one because i really did think it was art like yeah i was watching a 1944 documentary made by william wyler instead of like i just thought it was art and it was really i was just horny right that's when it comes down yeah. to it so. so this this is a movie that you would put because we both went with our first choices on this one. Yeah. Like there was no question. So you're going to put this in the category of horny. I don't really know. I mean, honestly, like it's kind of I, I think it skews slightly horny. I think it's OK. <laughs> it's not a terrible movie. <laughs> there are hints of horny, but it skews horny in my mind. It does skew horny. Yeah. And there's also like it takes them. I think like the first 40 minutes of the movie is just them building up to getting into the plane. Yeah. So that's kind of a. Also, to me, what makes it like a better movie is that there's some real narrative building and some world building. It's not just all like, we're just going to shoot some shit. So it's kind of, it's, I thought it was a lovely film. Yeah, it was great. And horny. And, and it has to be horny while being great. It's horny. Look, this was either our best or worst episode yet. <laughs> I'm going know. best. I'm going best. And we're basing a whole goddamn month on it. So get in there and that social meets feeds. And have some fun with us because this is hilarious. Well, I have to say this was such a fun episode to do. I'm so glad blast. that we decided to change the schedule and do this. So in general, we would just love you guys to like and subscribe and do all the things on our socials, which Instagram and Twitter is both I saw pod. And then what's our email address? Our email address is I saw what you did pod at Gmail. And don't forget. We got the bracket. It starts today. Go to our Instagram stories. That's where all the voting and that's where all the nominating is going to happen. And just follow us there for the next month and cast your votes for the bracket. Tell your friends. Bring them in. And um, as always, I have to ask you, Danielle, what are the films for next week? Yes. Now, you can for sure guess the theme on any of our platforms, but our movies are... When a Stranger Calls from 1979 and our namesake, I Saw What You Did from 1965. What is the theme? What is the theme? <laughs> Billy's doing a little robot dance there. It's great. And the theme is not gleaming the cube. Or is it? <laughs> You'll just have to tune in to find out. This was so much fun. Thanks, Millie. Thank you, Danielle. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our social media manager is Taryn Mazza. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. Email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 